ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello and welcome back to Background Briefing. I'm Fanu Filali, the executive producer. This summer, my team has pulled together a selection of some of the most compelling human stories we've worked on this year. Today, we meet Gillian, a fastidious note-taker and a dedicated electorate officer. She risked her livelihood and her reputation to bring to account a powerful perpetrator of child abuse. What happens when just doing your job turns you into a whistleblower? To find out, here's Tai King. And just to let you know, what you're about to hear includes references to sexual abuse. So listen with care. Do you stop for three seconds at the stop sign when you're in the car? I always drive as if a police car is behind me. <laughs> Truly. I know it sounds a bit sad, but that's how I drive. <laughs> Julian Snedden's a stickler for the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So seatbelt on before you take off? Yeah, I've never had a parking ticket. I've never had any, I've never lost a point. And I've been driving since I was 19 and I'm nearly 67. I'm meeting Gillian in person for the first time, but I've seen photos of her from back in the early 2000s. She had a massive curly blonde hair and bright eyes. And though 20 years on she's turned grey, her eyes are still intelligent and warm. I like things to be matching and nice and clean and just, um, yeah, I try to be stylish. What about house, decoration, yard, stuff like that? Yeah, my house. (laughs) Yeah, I have, like, the nice glasses, nice plates, nice everything. All arranged in order. Yeah, all colour schemes, coordinating and things, yeah. In the mid-90s, Gillian was living and working in the coastal New South Wales town of Swansea, just around the corner from where Lake Macquarie opens to the ocean. With three kids to support, she took on casual jobs at local electorate offices, until she finally landed a full-time position in the office of the newly elected Labor state member, Milton Orkopoulos. All day long, the phones wouldn't stop ringing. There'd be letters to write. People would come to the counter with various complaints. So there was never enough hours in the day to do all the work that was required. Gillian was perfect for the role. She loved being part of a small team. And it was convenient too, just down the road from home so she could be close to the kids. Her new boss, Milton Orkopoulos, had replaced Jill Hall as the member for Swansea. Madam Acting Speaker, I rise to make my first speech in this house, conscious of the honour... In his inaugural speech that year, he paid tribute to his Greek parents. They were part of the boat people of the 1950s, coming out from Greece to do something I could never have the courage to do. That is, leave their families, their friends, their villages and towns to start a new life and create a family in a new country. I thank them with all my heart. He had the type of cred that made a good Labor politician. And to many of his constituents, it looked like he was a good one. He was very accessible, but he'd also encourage everybody to come to the office. And he'd also write to um, different suburbs at a time, asking them to come to him with any complaints or any issues. So he was constantly engaging with the whole community. And how was he seen by the community? Um, 
he was loved, I'd say, for the most part. He was a very charismatic person. Um, the old ladies really loved him. And a lot of young men seemed to come in, or young boys. Um, and I thought he was being a mentor to them. As a senior member of the staff, Gillian was across a lot of what happened in the office. What kind of cakes the old ladies were bringing in for Milton, what his diary looked like, the concerns of the people who came in for a chat. Gillian enjoyed the job, and for around six years, until the second half of 2005, life was good. But what she would uncover in that small office would nearly destroy her, and would set her on a path for justice that continues to this day. It's a spring day in 2005, and inside the Swansea electorate office, the phone's ringing. A junior staffer picks it up. On the other end of the phone is a male voice, broken and anguished. He asks to speak to Gillian. On Monday the 10th of October, a person that I will call X rings the office to say that Milton is not a very nice person. Gillian takes the call and begins taking notes. He says that he sexually abused him at 15 and that it's still ongoing. It gets worse and worse. And he said he's now threatening him. He says that Milton takes cocaine and speed. And he's crying as he tells me this. For legal reasons, we can't identify the caller. We're calling him X. During the conversation, I asked him who else he has told, and he said his grandmother and his ex-girlfriend and friends. Then he mentioned that he needed to speak with his solicitor or the media. And he ends the conversation saying, don't tell anyone, I will ring back. How do you feel in that moment? While X was speaking to me, I believed him. It, because there is so much emotion in his voice. And then the second I put the phone down, I think, that can't be right. It was like, can't possibly be right. But at the same time, it, it felt like it was so real. Her head's spinning. She calls Milton, hoping for clarification but he's at Parliament and doesn't answer. When he does call back, he's furious. After all I've done for him, he screams. It wasn't what I expected. I expected him to explain something to me, explain, but not, not to hang up on me and, and just be angry. Gillian's the sort of person who coordinates her crockery who in almost 50 years of driving has never lost a single point on her licence. So even though she's sceptical, even though her mind's racing, she has to do something. She writes a formal account of the conversation. Well, I just felt that was the right thing to do. That's, yes. That, that, my belief was if there's, if Milton has nothing to hide, then why would he be worried about it. With Milton away at Parliament, Gillian rings Bryce Gordry, the member for Newcastle, someone she trusts, about the phone call. Gordry and another MP confront Milton. But Milton waves it off and manages to convince Gordry it's untrue, 
says the caller's a drug addict, that he's after money. Milton tells Gordry the police are already aware of the guy. And they are. Because unbeknownst to Gillian, Milton's already complained to the police about him. But in his complaints, Milton made out the guy was a nuisance caller who's after his money and threatening to spread rumours about him. So at this point, do you think the matter's dealt with? Yes, I I do. Um, And Bryce actually did ring me again later and said, is everything okay?" And I said, yeah, thank you, Bryce. It was like a, a load off at the time. Things begin to change inside the Swansea electorate office. Little things. When the phone rings, he doesn't want to speak to me. Gone are the friendly morning greetings. Milton gets junior staff to do Gillian's job and tensions in the office quickly reach boiling point. One colleague even tells Gillian she shouldn't have gone over their boss's head. I said to her, OK, what would you have done in that situation? And she said... I would have told Milton. And I said, yes, and what then? She said, nothing. I said, so you wouldn't have even made a record of it? And she said, no. Milton's also angry she confided in Newcastle MP Bryce Gordry. Once Milton comes right up to my face, within an inch of my face, and says, I'm a minister of the Crown for God's sake. You believe a drug addict over me. Gillian suffers anxiety and begins seeing a doctor. But as the months pass, things improve and she hopes that in time it will all return to normal. Then there's a second allegation. It's August 2006 and Milton's just barged into the office waving a document in his hand. And he's yelling, Gillian, come and take a look at this. He says the document was slipped under the door. It's a statutory declaration. He hands it to Gillian who begins reading. The stat deck says, On a date I can't recall in September 1996, I was living with Mr... which is blanked out, and his son at Cave Speech. During a conversation I had with... He told me things about Milton Ocopolis, New South Wales state Labour politician. He, he told me that Milton Ocopolis was known to be waiting by the Cave Speech toilets, waiting for young boys to have sex with. And he stated once, when his father and myself were present, he stated that Milton was a pedophile. It's signed by a Justice of the Peace. This is months after you've already received a phone call about separate allegations. What are you thinking at that point? A second allegation against Milton. Put it this way, this, at this time I'm kind of got an open mind, definitely, but I think if Milton had have treated me exactly the same as he used to, I would, I would have thought everything you know, that he was innocent. But because he was treating me so strangely, that that made me think there's probably something in this. It was that it was his treatment of me that made me suspicious. Milton tells her to fax the document to the police. Gillian later suspects this is a way to get ahead of the allegation. Better to squash it now than have it come up in the midst of an election campaign. It ends up on the desk of the Lake Macquarie Area Commander, who sends Detective Christy Faber into the Swansea Electorate Office to investigate. 
It's hard to overstate how important this next part is. But Milton doesn't turn up to the office for the interview. So in a real sliding doors moment, instead of interviewing Milton, Detective Faber interviews Gillian. Here's how Gillian remembers it. I sat down with her and she said, has anyone ever accused Milton of being a pedophile before? At first, Gillian answers no. But after a moment, she realises that's not quite right. And I said, and of course, there were those allegations last October, but you know about those. And she said, well, what what was that? And I said, well, it was a a phone call that I received. And and she said, all right, yeah. She said, well, um, I may need to speak to you again later. They don't know it yet, but it's a breakthrough. It turns out Detective Faber didn't know about that first phone call. For the first time, two allegations against Milton or Coppolis are side by side. It's enough for Detective Faber. The investigation begins in full, and Gillian is about to realise her boss, the hard-working and popular Labor MP, is a liar. Milton Orkopoulos is under pressure. After freezing Gillian out, he now needs her to believe him. Milton said to me, look, I only met this guy, you know, a couple of years ago. The guy is the boy who called up the office back in October. I thought, I'm sure I've seen that name in my book, you know, where I write my notes. And so when Milton isn't around, I go through all of my books, and there was 48 of them. I went through every one, making a note of when he rang the office, and I realised that right from the first day since I started working for Milton, there was a message from him even then, and that was back in 1999. 1999? That's years before Milton says he's known him. His timeline doesn't add up. Gillian has a sudden realisation. Her boss is lying. I felt like like my heart's going to explode, you know. um, And also, the person had accused him of, you know, drug-taking and giving him drugs, and, yeah, I was in fear. When her heart finally stops racing, Gillian moves to tell Detective Faber the news. But before she can, she runs into a work experience student named Ben Blackburn. Ben was smoking frantically outside the door and I said, you okay, Ben? And he said, he kind of shook his head and he came back into the office and he said, I think Milton's grooming me. And I said, what? And he said, he he told him about having sex with a man in some shops down the road and um, and, and he talks to him about sexual things he does and and he said, yeah, I... Think he's, I think he's trying to groom me. And um, and I went, he said, he knew I was going to the police station. He says, well, don't tell them about this. Just don't tell them. For the first time, Gillian believes in her heart that Milton's guilty. The phone allegation, the statutory declaration, the lie, and now the work experience, kid. It's too much to be coincidence. She rushes to the police station and tells Detective Faber. 
she also begins to secretly collect and copy the years and years of records she's kept while working at the Swansea office. I went through my petty cash books because um, I knew Milton gave a little bit of money here and there to different people. He may have paid their electricity bill or he sometimes he'd, he'd just give them money and he'd just write it on a some some slip and he'd ask me to write it in the petty cash book so that he'd have that for tax records to show where his electorate allowance went. So and so I went through there to see how many times he'd given X any money. So I did that and um, and later on I ended up photocopying those the petty cash books and the receipts. Gillian's now actively undermining her boss and aiding a covert police investigation. In her mind, helping police is the obvious thing to do. She doesn't see it in these terms at the time, but she's just become a whistleblower. And to some in the office, a traitor. Gillian takes some stress leave. One day she goes into the office to fax a workers' comp certificate to her insurer, but she can't get in. My key didn't work in the lock. I said, oh, my key doesn't work. She calls out to a colleague on the other side of the glass door. Can you open the door, please? She said, the locks are being changed to keep you out. My legs just about gave way under me. I had a friend with me and he helped steady me because my legs just turned to jelly. I just could not believe it. Milton Orkopoulos left Newcastle Court this afternoon ashen-faced, his reputation and career in tatters. Police allege his crime started in the late 90s and continued until a few months ago. Will you resign from Parliament? Today he was charged with 30 offences. They include engaging in an act of child prostitution, having homosexual intercourse with a 10 to 18 year old and four counts of procuring by drugs for prostitution. What Gillian had started in the small Swansea office was now national news. Milton Orkopoulos' case would eventually be heard in the Newcastle District Court in 2008. It would take the jury just over a day to convict him on 28 charges, including having sex with three boys and supplying them with marijuana and heroin between 1995 and 2006. One of the boys was X, the caller with the anguished voice who confided in Gillian. Milton spent more than 11 years in prison for those crimes and was released in 2019. Then in April this year, he was found guilty of more child sex and drug charges involving four boys. One of them was the subject of the statutory declaration that Milton said was slipped under the electorate office door back in 2006. He's due to be sentenced for those crimes in November. Gillian gave testimony during the first trial and her records were important evidence. But she says her colleagues never acknowledged that what she did was the right thing to do. In fact, at the time of her testimony, she was sacked by Parliament. We've just pulled up at 204 Pacific Highway, Swansea. And wedged between a dentist and a pharmacy is Gillian's old workplace. And does it look the same? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much, except a different name on the door. It's been 17 years since she stepped through those doors. What do you think 
first thing that comes to your mind when you look at the building now? I still feel hurt and angry of, with what happened to me. Milton might now be behind bars, but Gillian hasn't been able to let this chapter of her life go. Over the years, she's tried to find out who else was on notice about Milton. There's too many unanswered questions. Her search for answers led her to one man. Remember the statutory declaration slipped under the door? Milton tried to paint the author as some crackpot, but it was actually a father trying to get justice for his abused son. We can't name the father for legal reasons, and he died nine years ago, but Gillian remembers him fondly. I would say he was um, a diamond in the rough for certain, yes, but he had the kindest heart. He knew I was going through a lot of stress, and even though he was stressed himself, he'd come round and mow the lawn for me when I just let it go. It might be six feet high, and he'd just just come. He'd just turn up with his lawnmower and do it without even mentioning anything. Yeah, he, he was a good man. The two would catch up from time to time and compare stories. He'd turn up on the doorstep and he'd have a pile of papers and he'd... A lot of information he had and he didn't really understand. It was, it was in a jumble mess and sometimes I'd just help him go through it and put it in folders for him and help him sort his thoughts out. At these meetings, the father revealed he told people in positions of power that Milton had sexually abused his son as far back as 1996, well before some of Milton's worst offending. Before he died, he wrote a little-known memoir about his claims. I made every effort to make sure what Ocopolis had been accused of was known in the political circles in which he moved. This is an extract from the memoir. It's read by an actor. I went with my son to see the mayor of Lake Macquarie City Council. At the time, the mayor was independent John Kilpatrick. Mayor Kilpatrick advised me that as he was a lawyer by profession, he was obliged to ensure the abuse I had told him about must be reported. He sent my son and me in his own mayoral car up to the police station at Charleston to report what had happened. The response of the female officer whom I spoke to was nothing short of disgraceful. She told me that as I had not seen blood or semen, then no assault could be proved. When we asked Kilpatrick about this, he told us he was of the view that the claims needed to be investigated properly by the police, and at the time, the local detectives were at Charlestown. After running into a dead end with the police, the father turns to one of the area's most senior politicians. I was so disgusted with the police response, I was determined to blow the whistle on Orcopolis before he got any further. I went with my son to visit the state member for Wall's End, John Mills, to complain both about Orcopolis and about the police, but he did nothing for me. State member for Wall's End, John Mills, later said he found a file note taken by staff confirming a man did complain about his son being sexually abused and was not satisfied with the police response. He says the file note did not state the name of the alleged offender and that the matter had already been reported to police. But there was another politician aware of the allegations. In his book, the father reveals that Jill Hall, who at the time was member for Swansea, was present when Milton tried to get the boy to recant an allegation of abuse. 
he was required to write a letter of retraction that Orkopoulos had not in fact molested him and presumably that he had made the whole thing up. Jill Hall says she remembers asking the boy at the time whether he was sure he wanted to sign the document withdrawing the complaint. She also says that as a justice of the peace, it wasn't her job to make sure the statement was accurate. And she told us the father of the boy contacted her after this and that every complaint he made was sent to the police or the minister concerned. On no occasion, she says, did she ignore the complaints. Background briefing also asked New South Wales police about revelations suggesting they failed to investigate the father's claims appropriately. In an email, they said they were making inquiries but couldn't get back to us by deadline. It won't change how Gillian feels. To her, there were plenty of opportunities to stop Milton. If he had have been believed instead of the police at the time weren't interested, then... Milton would not have been able to carry on and abuse the, the, the boys that he's in jail for now. And the other three victims, they would have just been people that could have just led normal lives like every other young man or young boy deserves to have. All these victims would never have been victims. I'm sitting in the home of Linda Mihalak, just down the road from the Swansea electorate office. Linda and Gillian go way back. Their kids were in daycare together, and Linda was there throughout the Orkopolis saga. It was a terrible, terrible situation that she'd found herself in, in the middle of this awful criminal matter. And, you know, the, the, the fate of, of what were originally um, children. But... I think it was the way she was treated that was really the thing that destroyed her. After Milton's arrest in the electorate office in Swansea, some of the people who questioned Gillian for assisting the police ended up being promoted. She just could not believe that people that she trusted, political parties, unions that she trusted, could care so little to see someone struggle because they have stood up and done the right thing. I honestly can say, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, that it's ruined her life. It really has. And that's a tragedy. In the aftermath, Gillian lodged a workers' compensation claim against the Speaker of the Legislative Assembly, the State of New South Wales, and Milton Orkopoulos. Every time a new Premier was elected, she and Linda would write to them, seeking assistance with the claim and an acknowledgement that Gillian had done the right thing. I read in one newspaper report the, a letter, or part of a letter you wrote to Christina Keneally. Indeed, I did. When Christina Keneally was, um, took over as Premier, um, our thoughts were um, that she is, uh, she's a mother, she's a mother of sons, she seems to be a strong woman, so I thought it was worthwhile appealing to, to that. But um, the response was basically nothing. Nothing could be done. We reached out to Christina Keneally and asked why nothing could be done. 
Miss Keneally told us the New South Wales Premier did not have the power to intervene as New South Wales Parliament's presiding officers are not subject to the direction or control of the New South Wales Government. She added that Mr Orkopoulos's crimes are reprehensible and the fact that he was charged, tried, convicted and sentenced demonstrates that no person, including a Minister of the State, is above the law in Australia. In the end, Gillian did win her claim, but the ordeal destroyed her faith in the Labor Party. This is the Labor Party which is supposed to care for the downtrodden. Yeah. But how does it make you feel? Yeah. Well, see, they're all the ideals that I had. You know, I, I always supported the underdog. And then when I saw what they did to me, I realised they're just looking after themselves. You know, it's it's completely changed my my belief for them. At her lowest point, Gillian says she lost the will to live. She could barely raise herself from bed. At that moment, it was Linda who stepped up. She wasn't herself. Her usual um, beautiful appearance. She was looking bedraggled and I knew she wasn't sleeping very well at all. So I actually drove her to the hospital and see her settled in and she stays there for about five weeks. Blowing the whistle has cost Gillian a lot. I've not had like one real job since then. They've all been very, I mean, the job that I'm in now, it's, I mean, working in a kitchen, but the, the jobs that I've had in between that job, they've only lasted about three months because I just couldn't cope with any bullying behaviour or, um, yeah, or, or just couldn't cope full stop. Would you blow the whistle again? If it was a matter of real importance. I mean, if Milton had been stealing the stationery, I, I, I would have thought that's between his conscience and Parliament's, you know, him and God, or, you know, but anything like child sexual abuse, I think if I had not have done anything about that, then I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. Gillian's story is part of a background briefing series dedicated to whistleblowers. To find out how other Australians like Gillian have helped bring the biggest and dirtiest scandals to light, head to the ABC Listen app and look for The Whistleblowers under Background Briefing. Background Briefing sound producers are Leila Schunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Beth Stewart. The reporter on this story was Ty King. Additional research by Lonnie Cooper. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. And I am the executive producer, Fanu Filali. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening.